the word of the Lord from the Gospel of St. John, the 17th chapter, verses 1 through 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh and give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our gospel proclamation comes from the Holy Gospel of St. John that I just finished reading for you and serves as the basis of our theme for the last Sunday of Easter, the seventh Sunday of Easter, Saved to Save. Today, we arrive at the final Sunday of the Easter season. Next week, we will see the Holy Spirit's anointing of the apostles by appearing with wind and fire. But today, we conclude our eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection with a now but not yet prayer from Jesus. And this can be a confusing prayer to understand. After all, Jesus is praying for that which would have not yet happened, as though it has already happened. I can't think of much of anything outside of Christendom that does this. When we tell our family we're going to the grocery store and ask, what do you need? Nobody believes it's as good as purchased and in the bag or stocking the shelves of our pantry. No, you might get there and they don't have the right kind of bread or the cereal you wanted. Or the peanut butter and jelly you were craving just came in the small jars instead of the big jars. These days, you can't even count on anything in particular being there. We know this and we accept the reality of it. There is no sure thing. We also know that if we enter a sweepstakes, play the quarter slots at the casino, or buy a raffle ticket, the odds are never in our favor we will win. And on a more serious note, what we're seeing in Ukraine today and our war efforts in Iraq and Afghanistan, that even if you have a superior military force, that doesn't mean the war will turn out the way you think it will. I know this happens with building new homes, rehabbing old ones, or even building a church, just like you're at faith. Even with specific architectural plans, the final product rarely ends up the way you planned it. Money is involved, availability of materials is involved, and, well, let's be honest, people are involved. And that's the difference. 
If people are involved, that means sinners are involved. And if that means anything we do will be influenced by likely corrupted, but at the bare minimum, distracted by our sin. Thanks be to God that never stopped humanity from giving it their all. As social science says, that's what separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom. We can imagine a future. I mean, a gator just wakes up and looks for its next meal. A bird just makes a nest and finds the worm. A dog just waits for its owner to come home. A beaver just instinctively builds a dam to protect itself from predators. But we, as God's top-of-the-food chain creatures, imagine the possibilities and with that hope, put together plans for our lives. We don't just look for food when we wake up. We put together grocery lists and plan the meals, usually as a social time with the family. We don't just build a house to raise children in. We look for the right neighborhood with good schools and access to extracurricular activities that will enrich our children's future. And we don't just build a life with security in mind. We secure our lives with an expectation of who may want to hurt us and anticipate the best way to handle that threat in our lives, some by taking self-defense classes and learning karate or taekwondo or jujitsu. Or we get first aid training. We ensure against disaster. We seatbelt our children securely everywhere we go. We imagine and sometimes over-imagine the threats and prepare for them. But even then, life never turns out the way we think it will. After all, the grocery store just may not have milk and eggs. Although I heard this week that the price in eggs has dropped demonstrably. I think the shelves are going to be full pretty quick. And the baby will have to wait for formula if the shortage continues. So we hope, we pray, and we wait on the Lord. That's our part. But it's not Jesus' part. He is completely different. When Jesus, God in the flesh, prays, The prayer is already answered, and you can take that to the bank. Today, Jesus' prayer proclaims the now, not yet reality and gives us a prayer to model for infinity and beyond. Prayer that knows what is going to happen, even though it's not happened. As our Lord prays, it in fact has not happened, and he is clearly not speaking from the future but he knows what is going to happen with a certainty and conviction that conveys the future as if it has happened as he prays it might. Oh, that our prayers were so convicted. Prayers that the gospel will achieve what God's word set it forth to achieve. Prayers that the church will increase. Prayers that the lost will be reached. Prayers that the poor in spirit will be rich in the grace of God. You see, Jesus' prayer today, for us that is, is now from the vantage point of after his ascension. But it is even more. It is a prayer that glorifies the Father and glorifies the Son, a reciprocal relationship that redeems everyone. And these are the prayers we need today. Prayers that glorify the Son and tells the ultimate narrative of redemption for all sinners. 
Redemption for the wasted wanderers of society looking for a home. Redemption for the tired masses burdened by uncertainty and the ever-changing tapestry of our culture. And glorifying tales of impossible feats realized by the impossible forgiveness of our God. Forgiveness to those who screamed their hatred at our God while they hung him on the cross. Finally, Jesus' prayer established his name like the disciples before, believing Jesus because his words are from the Father. So Jesus believes that what they believe now will, with absolute certainty, be what they believe after his death and resurrection. This prayer is the ultimate certainty of the glory of his manifest name. C-G-M-N. Print it. Make a t-shirt of it. Post it on a giant sign. Certainty of the glory of his manifest name. It's a big difference from what the world has to offer, and that is what we are working hard to communicate in the coming season of Pentecost here at Faith. First, we are revamping our youth ministry to give them space and resources to prepare for a life of service to Jesus that prepares them to take over the church one day. We are actively working on a fund to help pay for students who want to go to Concordia universities and seminaries to follow through on the preparation we give them here, continuing their service as full-time workers in the church, especially teachers, pastors, deaconesses, DCEs, and DCOs. We are looking at the overall structure of the organization, strategically planning and expanding our spiritual work to go deeper into God's word so we can spread further into the community. Finally, we are concentrating on efforts to take our church ministry off campus to the people that need the gospel the most, the unchurched, the orphaned, the widowed, and the disenfranchised from the social fabric of our community. But we're not doing this so we can have the coolest youth program in town. We're not doing it to increase our Concordia enrollment numbers to save our beloved schools. We're not doing it to make faith a more efficient organization. We're not even doing it to win national awards for helping those who can't help themselves and generate government subsidies. No, we are doing it so we can pray in the confidence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we can see that his sacrifice on the cross was not in vain. So we can grow and know we have that confidence because he gave it to us through his Holy Spirit and thereby opened our eyes to the reality of why we are here, which many of you know, but maybe some of you don't. Number one, we're here to live. For Christ has given us life to have in its abundance, not in the abundance of possessions of things material or temporal, but the abundance of love that God the Father showered down upon us through his dear son, Jesus. So we are here to love just as Christ first loved us. Number two, we're here to serve. Just as Jesus got down on knees to wash his disciples' feet on the night in which he was betrayed, so he serves us forgiveness of sins and strengthening of faith when we partake of his very body and blood at this altar right here.
Finally, number three, we're here to share. Sharing the certainty of the glory of his manifest name. So his name would be manifested to anyone who does not know him unto the salvation of their souls. Through baptism, he adopted you and put his name in you, which means you are saved to save anyone he sends to you. Amen. Now may that peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.